We turn in scripture this morning to Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. Ezekiel chapter 38, we'll read both Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 38 is on page 867 in the Bible, the Pew Bible there. And you can see the subtitle above Ezekiel 38 there is Prophecy About God and Future Invasion of Israel. So Ezekiel chapter 38 And verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, And I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Put with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer with all its troops. Beth Togarma, from the remote parts of the north with all its troops. Many people with you. Be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you. And be a guard for them. After many days you will be summoned. In the latter years you will come into the land that is restored from the sword. Whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel. Which had been a continual waste. But its people were brought out from the nations. And they are living securely all of them. You will go up. You will come like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan and you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go against those who are at rest that live securely, all of them living without walls and having no bars or gates to capture spoil and to seize plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations who have acquired cattle and goods, who live at the center of the world, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all its villages, will say to you, Have you come to capture spoil? Have you assembled your company to seize plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to capture great spoil? Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the remote parts of the earth, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. Thus says the Lord God, Are you the one of whom I spoke in former days through my servants, the prophets of Israel, 
who prophesied in those days for many years that I would bring you against them, it will come about on that day when Gog comes into the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, that my fury will mount up in my anger, in my zeal and in my blazing wrath. I declare that on that day there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all the creeping things that creep on the earth, and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse, and every wall will fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother. With pestilence and with blood, I will enter into judgment with him. And I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire, and brimstone. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. Now to chapter 39. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and drive you on, Take you up from the remotest parts of the north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. I will strike your bow from your left hand and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. And I will send fire upon Magog, and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. and the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it shall be done, declares the Lord God. That is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons, and burn them, both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears, and for seven years they will make fires of them. They will not take wood from the field or gather firewood from the forest, for they will make fires with the weapons, and they will take the spoil of those who despoiled them and seize the plunder of those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. That day I will give Gog a burial around there, a burial ground there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will block off those who would pass by. So they will bury Gog there with all his horde, and they will call it the valley of Hamon Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Even all the people of the land will bury them, and it will be to their renown on the day that I glorify myself, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who were passing through, even those left on the surface of the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. As those who pass through the land pass through, and anyone sees a man's bone, then he will set up a marker by it until the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. And even the name of the city will be Hamona, so they will cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, Speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble and come. 
Gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you, as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are glutted, and drink blood until you are drunk. For my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you, you will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and the nations will see my judgment which I have executed, and my hand which I have laid on them. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God from that day onward. The nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity, because they acted treacherously against me, and I hid my face from them. And so I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them, and I hid my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob, and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget their disgrace and all their treachery which they perpetrated against me, when they live securely on their own land, with no one to make them afraid. When I bring them back from the peoples, gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations, and then gathered them again to their own land, and I will leave none of them there any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Now so far the reading of those two chapters, a long section that speaks to us very clearly about the enemies of God's people. The congregation, you know that as you read the scripture and as you read the, the pages of church history, that you know that the people of God has suffered uh, oppression and persecution from the days of, uh, of Abel being killed by Cain unto the present day, when I am told that there are more people dying for the Christian faith today than ever before in the history of the earth. You can think of Stephen, who died at the hands of the, of the Sanhedrin. And you can think of all the ages of church history. You can think of Haman and all his rage. You can think of the Scottish Covenanters in Scotland who were cut down by the Anglican Church of the time in Scotland. You can think of our forefathers in the Eighty Years' War in the Netherlands as they were cut down by the Spanish dragoons who, who chased them from city to city, who uh, put their cities under siege and, and, and starved our fathers in, in the Netherlands. And all through the ages of history then, God's people have suffered, have suffered persecution. Ever since the day that Jesus said, I also say to you that you are Peter. He was speaking to Peter. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. All the power of hell, Jesus says, is going to be bent against the people of God. But God gave them a promise. The gates of hell, all the powers of darkness, will not be able to overpower it. In this world, you shall have tribulation, Jesus promised us. 
Well, congregation, again, we return to the book of Ezekiel this morning, as we have for some months now, and we find more lessons for the church of God in this book. And this is a, a two chapters that has been, if I may say, the playground, the field day of prophetic interpreters in our day, who love to attach meanings in our current day to each of these little names and places. I hope to say something about that. But congregation, for us this morning, we see here of the attitude that Christians should have towards the enemies, towards the persecutors of our faith. So let's look then at this text, and then how to understand it, and then to make some points of application on it. Now, we begin then uh, in Ezekiel 38. And it's interesting, congregation, that just previously in Ezekiel 37, which, by the way, we did preach on some time ago, this is the chapter in Ezekiel 37 that talks about the two sticks coming together. Remember that? I think all of us remember that, right? The two sticks that came together when God said he was going to reunite the ten tribes from the north and the two tribes in the south. We talked about that. God's going to bring them back into the land of Canaan. He's going to set his servant David to be king over them. And he's going to reunite them. He's going to unite them into one people in one land with one king, with one shepherd. Well, congregation, when God does that work, we know that Satan is going to be busy as well. God brings his people together into their land. And where God works, Satan works. And congregation, you can plan on that. That is a principle, right, that is taught us throughout Scripture. That where God works, you remember the old saying? How many of you remember the old saying? Where God builds his church, there Satan builds his chapel. Do you remember that expression? I remember learning that in Sunday school. That where God builds his church, there Satan builds his chapel. In other words, Satan is always ready to oppose the work of God. And in, verse, in chapter 37, we saw the wonderful work of God in bringing his people together. Well, now in chapter 38, oh, and I'm sorry, on the outline it says after Ezekiel 43, that should say 37. After Ezekiel 37, not 43. But after God's work in Ezekiel 37, we come now to the devil building his chapel, as it were. And he comes, and you'll see that there is this leader named Gog, and he's the prince over the land of Magog. So this is the attacker. Now, who is Gog, and who is Magog? And of course, here, congregation, people uh, have, again, a field day, trying to, to, to pick out who, who in history would that be. And most of the prophetic types that we meet with are trying to look into the future, and trying to ascertain who all these people are. And, uh, well, for now, let's just read through this. So we have Gog and Magog. He's the prince of Rosh and Meshach and Tubal. This is the attacker. And, but now, very interesting congregation, that we read here that it is not Gog who takes the initiative here. And pay attention to this. Because in verse 4, we're told that it is God who puts his hook into the mouth of Gog and leads him forth against his people. This man Gog, this leader with all his armies, supreme armies, very well armed, numerous uh, uh, soldiers, is led out of his country, not on his own initiative. Now, of course, we know that he chose to do it. He chose to go. But behind him and in him, was God with his hook in his nose 
You know, sometimes you know that farmers, they lead around these bulls. They put a ring in the nose of the bull to make the bull easier to lead around because bulls can be kind of unpredictable. And so they put that ring in their nose. Well, now in the same way, God's put this hook through the jaw or through the nose of Gog, and he's leading him forth. Gog doesn't know that, of course. So that's the attacker. And you read there in verse 4 through 6, the, 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 his army, so well armed. Furthermore, you see that Persia, Ethiopia, and Put are allied with him. So there's a, confederate, a confederacy here. They've all come together, and they're ganging up on the land of Israel. Now the attacked. Who is the people being attacked here? Well, it's the land of Israel. But notice the state, the condition that they are in. That Gog is coming down against this land, in verse 8, that is restored from the sword. So in other words, these people have been attacked, and they've been recovered, whose inhabitants have been gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. But its people were brought out from the nations, and they are living securely, all of them. Now that clearly links this chapter with what we had before in chapter 37, right? Where in chapter 37, we know that God says, I'm going to gather my people together. I'm going to bring them out of the nations where they were. And I'm going to reunite them in the land of Palestine, in the promised land of Canaan that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now God is leading this leader named Gog out of his land of Magog with all his confederation, all the nations that are with him, and they're converging on the land of Israel. And God says, these are the people who themselves have just returned from exile. In fact, they're just beginning to get on their feet again, you might say. You see that at the very end of verse 8. And they are living securely, all of them. In other words, they're, they're beginning to prosper. They've rebuilt. Now, of course, this is Ezekiel, my friends. And let's not forget the, the situation that Ezekiel is in, right? Ezekiel is in exile right now. He's in Babylon. And here God is talking about the people of Israel having returned from exile, just beginning to get back on their feet. God has done the work that he said he was going to do in Ezekiel 37. And now here comes this army. And I hope, congregation, that you can feel something of the suspense here, right? That here's this little, I don't even know what I could compare it to, but like a, a think of the most vulnerable animal, like a little chipmunk or something, right? Here and, and, a, and, a, and a pride of lions is descending on it. I mean, this animal has no chance, right, against these ferocious beasts. All these troops are well armed. Verse 9, it says, it's like a cloud. And it's, this cloud is like a storm cloud. And suddenly it's going to break over the land of Israel. And they're going to be crushed. In verse 10, God talks about the, the plan that they have to destroy Israel. To capture spoil, verse 12. To seize plunder. To turn your hand against the wasteland. But congregation, I, I call your attention now to verse 16. Because remember, it was God who put his hook in the mouth of this army and of this man to lead him against his people. Why? What is the purpose of it? Why is God doing this? Verse 16. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land. And now here's the purpose given. So that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O Gog. 
So a congregation hears this little, and again, if I can, if I can compare it to a little chipmunk or a little, little uh, you know, helpless creature, right? And these vast armies are gathering around the nation of Israel. They're coming down upon them. And all the nations are watching. What's going to happen? It's almost like it's almost like it's a it's a amphitheater, and all the nations are in the stands, and they're and they're watching what's transpiring before their eyes. This army of vast size, well armed, led by this this leader named Gog, and they're watching. And God says, "My name is going to be sanctified." That means my name is going to be seen to be holy transcendent and great when they see what happens in this amphitheater they're going to see what I'm going to do and then in the rest of chapter 38 you read these these apocalyptic signs right these apocalyptic actions that God is going to take in his zeal in his blazing wrath it says in verse 19 earthquakes and fire hail torrential rain pestilence blood and all the rest. And God is going to crush those armies and he's going to defend and protect his people, Israel. Now, we, in chapter 39, and, and actually, congregation, you read repeatedly the purpose of this. So if you go to the end of chapter 38 in verse 23, 38 and verse 23, the very last verse, I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. And in chapter 39 and verse 23, we read it again. The nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity, because they acted treacherously against me, and I hid my face from them. So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, I dealt with them. And I hid my face from them. So God punishes his people, but not finally, not to the end. He preserves them. And he brings them back to his land. And then he draws this large army against them to show the nations who is God, who really is the great king and the sovereign of the universe. What well, congregation, there is the there is the, the meaning of or the what's going to happen. Uh, in, this, in these two chapters. And now, how are we to understand this? And like I said, uh, if you're familiar with the Left Behind series, right, these, these books uh, who like to uh, try to put this into fictional story form, they take a very literal interpretation of this. For instance, in chapter 38, it talks about Gog, who, by the way, is, is not to be identified by anything. There, there's nothing in the Bible that's known as Gog. It's a... It's a there's no historical referent for that. But some people will look at the Prince of Rosh and they say that must be Russia. And Meshach, that must be Moscow. And Tubal, that must be Toblisk, which I don't know where that is. That must be in Russia somewhere. But I've never heard of that city. Uh, I'm sure there is such a city. But so they say that these are. And then when they drop down in, in Ezekiel 38 and verse 5, they talk about Persia. Well, that must be Iran. Ethiopia, well, we have a country named Ethiopia, and Put, they uh, tell us, is Libya. And they say that 
just before the thousand-year reign of Christ, just before the millennium, as, as they hold it, being premillennialist, they say that, uh, there, uh, that there's going to be this confederation between Russia, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, the Sudan, and, and other nations of Central Asia. And they're going to gather together, and they're going to confederate, and they're going to come down against Israel. And God is going to protect his people, and he's going to destroy that army. But they interpret this very, very literally. In fact, uh, you notice that it says at, uh, in chapter 39 that there's these men who are going to pass through the land, and they're going to bury and it's going to take them seven months to bury everybody. I'm in 39 and verse 14. And then in 39 verse 15, as they pass through the land, they're going to see a man's corpse or a man's bone. They're going to put a marker by it or a tag. And then the people are going to come and bury it. And the valley is going to be named Hamon Gog. And they interpret this all very literally. By the way, congregation, I wonder if you just noticed that it says, how many months? Seven months. And I think that all of us are trained, right, to hear the word seven not as a literal number, right? But not these interpreters. They in- insist on interpreting everything literally until they get down to verse, chap- uh, verse 18 in this chapter where their, their, their method of interpretation begins to stumble a bit, right? Because now it says, you will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes. I, I don't think even they would say that the Israel is now going to sit down and eat the literal flesh of the enemies that they destroyed. And so their, their, their principle of interpretation, of being very literal, breaks down at this point, doesn't it? And they have to say, well, that's not to be understood literally. That's a symbol that they're going to have the victory. In which then, of course, as Reformed people reading this chapter, we come back and say, well, why not interpret the whole thing then as, as a symbol of all the enemies of God attacking his people and God protecting his people throughout these all these latter days? Well, that's the... That's the disagreement, isn't there, that we have with them. But I want to bring you back to what we talked about last week, congregation, and that is that when we interpret these prophecies, we look to the New Testament for help. And I want to press that again upon you this morning. We look to the New Testament for help in understanding these prophecies. In the, in the days of the Reformation, the men would say, we want the Bible to be its own interpreter. That means if I'm reading scripture here and I'm struggling to understand it, I turn elsewhere in the Bible to try to find light upon that passage. Let the Bible be its own interpreter. Now, that's a foundational principle of how we as Reformed people read the Bible. So naturally, we go to the New Testament. This is, this is where we expect to find help, right? Right? We go to the New Testament and we, we... Is there any mention of Gog and Magog in the New Testament? Well, there is. And we're very thankful for that. And if you'll turn with me to Revelation in chapter 20, you'll find this help. In Revelation 20 and verse 8, we find repeated. And let me begin at, at verse 7. Revelation 20 and verse 7. And we read there, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire 
and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Well, now this is helpful for us, isn't it? Because now we realize that the passage that we read in Ezekiel is not to be understood in a literally, a strictly literal way. It is to be understood more symbolically, and that Gog and Magog are not actual names of a man and of a kingdom, that they are symbols of the opposition that is going to come against the people of God all the time of the last days. And the last days, congregation, are all the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. We are living in the last days. And so has all Christians throughout the ages. We are living in the last days. And we're taught here in the book of Revelation that Gog and Magog will be coming against the people of God all the time of these last days. And especially, and we're taught that here as well in Revelation, that especially at the end of the last days, there will come a special concentration of opposition and hatred and persecution of the people of God. Now, the, the, our brothers and sisters, again, who interpret this more literally, come to Revelation 20 and verse 8, and they say, oh, there's Gog and Magog. But that can't be the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And here's why. They, in their understanding, they say, well, this Gog and Magog, they come at the end of the 1,000 years. And notice in verse 7, right? When the 1,000 years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Oh, they said that must be a different Gog and Magog because in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, it's before the millennium. And again, here you have to remember, congregation, that Ezekiel 40 to 48, remember that's that glorious temple that God is going to cause to be built. Well, our literal, our literalistic brothers and sisters want to interpret that temple as the millennium. So they say the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is before the millennium, right? Because it comes before Ezekiel 40 to 48. But the Gog and Magog of Revelation 20 comes at the end of the millennium. So those must be two different people. Now here, congregation, again, I, again, as Reformed interpreters, at this point we kind of throw up our hands. Because if we're going to lean on Scripture to help us to interpret Scripture then we see those things as, we see Revelation 20 as speaking to us about the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. But if you're going to stick to this literalistic interpretation or this principle, right, then you're stuck. And you have to make really what, what I, again, I, with all due respect, is an absurd distinction. And you have to say, well, that Gog and Magog must be a different Gog and Magog than the one in Ezekiel because of their different times. Well, with this, with this principle of interpretation, you run into all kinds of difficulties and challenges. And it's, it's so much more in keeping with the Word of God that we let Revelation 20 interpret Ezekiel 38 and 39. It teaches us how to understand it. It's as if God Himself is saying, this is how you should understand Ezekiel 38 and 39. Well, with that congregation, we reject then this more literalistic understanding of that passage. And we understand Gog and Magog to be a, a symbol of all the enemies of God coming down upon the people of God throughout the last days and especially at the end of the last days in which we are right now. Well, 
I come then to my points of application congregation. And first of all, these two more theological points in application number one, all of history. All of history congregation. All of history centers around God's purposes for his people. All of history centers around God's plan or his purpose or his decree for his people, for his chosen people. And it starts already back in Genesis when God said, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Already back then, congregation, you have these two lines in history, right? The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And they are forever at odds. Well, not forever. It will come to an end. But in this time state congregation, they are at odds. They are always against each other. And our fathers have used that word, the antithesis. And that's an important word. That is a a word that you really should know, congregation. It's an important word. That in the world around us, there are two forces. Whatever we may see with our eyes, we know from the teaching of Scripture that there is the kingdom of darkness and there is the kingdom of light. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And they are in opposition with each other. And that opposition will continue until the end of of the day. And congregation, the glorious, the glorious teaching that is given us here in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is that God wins. And I don't know that there's anything more profound, congregation, in these chapters than just that. We don't need to think about Russia and Libya and Sudan. We don't need to think about who is Gog and who is Magog. We need to learn this glorious truth. God wins. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Now that's good news. And that's the teaching of these chapters. And it doesn't have to get any more complex than that. God wins. Every child here can understand what that means. Jesus wins. This is just a a foretaste, Ezekiel 38 and 39, of the whole book of Revelation. What you have here in 38 and 39 is just the book of Revelation. Different symbols, different images, but the same message. Jesus wins. The seed of the woman crushes the head of the seed of the serpent. And congregation, all of history, all of history This is this, right? All of history, we see Putin. We see Ukraine, right? We see, we see this nation. We see this nation. Congregation, for a minute, put the newspaper down and put the Bible up. Because what do we see happening in history? We see God leading the nations around with a hook through their nose. God is leading them the way you would lead a dog or, a, or, a, or a, some, an animal around, right? He's leading them. He's orchestrating all the events of history for the purpose of establishing His people. All of history, congregation, every event, every event is God leading and orchestrating and moving as if, it's a, as if history is a giant chessboard and God knows all the pieces to put 
until finally he achieves his goal, his end, his purpose. And that is the establishment of his people, his kingdom, on a new heaven and a new earth. Congregation, I, I think that this morning what we're given is a cosmic look at history from beginning to end. And not even from beginning. From beginning until on into eternity, past, or future. God gives us glasses to see history as he sees it. And God has all these things under his control. It may not look like it, but congregation, today we have to believe it. Well, in the second place, history is a revelation. And again, this is a bit more of a theological point. History, a revelation. You know that when we talk about special revelation, congregation, we talk about the Bible, right? It's written revelation. But we also know that there's a revelation in in nature, right? In creation, there's a revelation of God. We learn that there is a God. We learn certain things about Him just from viewing creation. Now, in the same place, in the same way, when we view history, we also see a revelation of who God is. And again, that's given us in this chapter in all these different places where it says, and they will know that I am God. In other words, God will reveal himself, who he is, through the protection of his people. And that is a revelation of God to the world. Now granted, it's not given us in words like this that we can read and understand easily, right? But it is given to us in the movement of nations. And when God puts his hook into the nose of these nations and leads them about, we can learn things, we can see things about who God is and what God is about. Congregation, I hasten on to my my third application here. This teaching from Ezekiel teaches us what kind of life we can expect in this world. What kind of life we can expect in this world. Children, you're going to meet Gog and Magog at school. You're going to have classmates. You're going to have friends. Young people. Friends in school, friends in the workplace who are going to resist and resent your devotion to Jesus Christ. They are going to be enemies of the gospel of God. They are going to oppose it, perhaps ridicule it and scoff at it. But I hope this morning that Ezekiel teaches us how to see that kind of opposition, how to bear that kind of reproach. You bear that reproach by seeing that kind of reproach with the eyes that God gives us this morning, that that is a defeated enemy, that Gog and Magog are a defeated enemy. Now, that does not mean that we treat them with in kind, that we we treat them with scoffing and reproach, that we hurl insults at them. No, we teach them as those who are opposed to God, which means we bring the gospel to them. We show them the love of Christ for lost sinners. But let us understand that we are to expect that opposition. Young people, young men, young women, when you go to college, you will face this opposition in a special kind of way. And I I hate to say it, congregation, I hate to say it, but whether you go to a Christian college or a secular college, you will face this kind of opposition. Even from the faculty of that institution. It, It pains me to say it, but I've been in those institutions. I know how they think and I know how they act. And the religion that teaches 
that there is life in Christ and that there is a God in heaven who judges and who teaches and who expects all people to obey his commandments and will judge those who do not. That kind of religion is not acceptable in the vast majority of institutions today, Christian and secular alike. And when you face that opposition, you are to understand, congregation, that you are to expect it. You're not to be surprised when you discover it. There is a religion, as I've said, there is a religion that will never provoke any opposition. Everybody loves it. Right? It's the religion that teaches us that there's no wrath, that God is always loving, that we'll all be in heaven one day, that God loves us all, He's going to take care of us all, and that no matter what we do, God does not leave us. Right? That kind of religion will never provoke any opposition. That kind of religion can live in the White House, it can live in the halls of Congress, it can live in the, in the, in the halls of the universities of our land. A congregation, when we take a stand on the Word of God and what it teaches us about the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ to your life and that you owe Him allegiance from morning till night and that God will judge those who do not do so, that kind of religion evokes enmity and opposition. And that is what we are to expect in this world. How many of our Christian colleges and seminaries, congregation, are celebrating the possible overthrow of Roe v. Wade? in the past week. Maybe some of them are. I don't know. I, I don't follow all of them. But there's this silence, it seems like, from these institutions. Why? In this world, you shall have tribulation, Jesus said. But my last point of application, how to live as victors. Congregation, we're taught in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that the battle has already been won. The battle may still have to take place yet. There will be at the end of history a terrible tribulation, the likes of which have never been seen before, more than likely. But God says Gog and Magog are already defeated. And this prophecy teaches us to live on that, to take our stand on that. Whatever kind of opposition, whatever kind of Reproach we may have to bear in this world. We can bear it. We can live as victors. We do not need to be pessimistic. In fact, congregation, I would ask you to live today and Monday and Tuesday. And when you face that opposition, you can ask yourself, where was Gog, G-O-G now, Gog, in the news today? How did I experience him today? And I find that when we face the opposition that we face as Christian people, in that light, then we live as victors. We may be defeated. We may lose this battle. But ultimately, congregation, we know that the seed of the woman will not fail, will not be defeated. The seed of the woman will be crowned the conqueror on that last great day. Christians should not be pessimists, congregation. Yes, we know there's hard times. We are thankful for the easy times that we live in now. We don't face persecution generally. But we know that can change. And whatever the case may be, congregation, we're thankful in times like this, and we're patient if it may change. But in all times, we live in victory. Now, Jesus said, in the world you shall have tribulation. 
But let me finish that verse for you, congregation. Let me finish the sermon with these words. Do you remember how that finishes? In this world you shall have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, congregation, take hold of that. That's a promise you can take with you into school, into the workplace, into college, into society today. And you can stand on that promise and live as victors in a dark, dark world. I have overcome the world. May God grant that we could live on that foundation to his glory. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and merciful Father, we know that we meet Gog and Magog in this world. We meet the enemies. We meet those who hate the gospel. Lord, help us to meet them in humility. Help us to be ready to give an answer, a, a reason for the faith that we carry, that we hold. But help us also, O oh Lord, to understand that we live as victors in this present evil world. And that whoever may be the president, whatever may be the makeup of the Supreme Court, whatever may be the mayor of our town, the governor of our state, whatever may be the direction our nation is going, Lord, we know from Ezekiel 38 and 39 that all of history is moving our way, is moving your way, is moving and planning and orchestrating all events such that your people will be established in a new heaven and in a new earth one day. Lord, in light of that, we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Yea, come quickly. And Lord, I pray that if there are any here who are not with you, not united and joined to Jesus Christ by a true faith, Lord, I pray that this day they might abandon the seed of the serpent. They might abandon the kingdom of darkness and come take refuge in the kingdom of light and peace and joy, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of all those who are opposed to Gog and Magog. Lord, please hear our prayer. Bless us all as we meditate and, and contemplate these things. And we pray, Lord, that you would return us again this evening, that we may sit again under the, under the teaching of your word, and that it might be silver and gold to us, yea, as honey from the honeycomb. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.